Here we go. Yes, you're listening to Rumination Thursday Law and Gospel on this January the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good friend, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. It's good to know that I'm your friend. I'm good. Yes, I've got two of them. <laughs> You're one, and my wife's the other one. <laughs> okay. No, you you got a good article here. We've had a lot of problems wondering why young people are leaving the church. And a lot of times we talk about doctrinal areas. For example, that they don't like the morality anymore of the church uh, against living together before marriage uh, and against abortion and other such things. And so we think it's the morality of the church that turns them off. But uh, Joseph Matera, who's a contributor to Religious Matters, he himself is a pastor, says, I found that often it is not the gospel that turns people off, but it is the people carrying the gospel that turns them off. And he's got a number of points here where he believes with conversations he's had with millennial leaders as well as the average person on the street. And so I think it's a good article to kind of keep in mind What's the first item that turns people off? Uh, uh, I mean, there's 12 of them, and I'm not sure that they're all rated the same. But uh, the first one he lists is an overemphasis of money. He, he cites where in some churches it took up to 30 minutes to collect the offering. And in another instance, oh, well, one that I know of personally that happened years ago, was a church that collected three times. They locked the doors and collected three times until they thought they had enough money raised. Was that a Lutheran church? Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, when we went to the seminary years ago, there was a yes. big Reformed church. I forget what, what its name was, but uh, some SEM students went to it one Sunday and they came back, and it was they had taken a they had locked the doors and collected three times until they got enough money. Yes, um, the one I saw was a television evangelist, and he had a big group, and they used kind of like small garbage baskets, and they went around, but they weren't filled, so he had them go around again until those baskets became filled with money. And I think he did it at least twice, if not three times. But this leaves the church open to suspicion where people think that money is more important. Now, he does say you should focus on stewardship occasionally, but it should not consistently rival the time given to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Right. Well, you know, uh, there's Exodus 25 where the, where the Lord asked for a contribution to the sanctuary, building of the sanctuary, the Ark of Covenant. 
And then in chapter 30 of Exodus, they took the census tax. So there is uh, a scriptural evidence of, of collection of funds. Yes, there's no problem with collecting funds because we have to have the work of the church continue. And if your, well, mortgage goes into foreclosure, they're going to take away your church and you can't, you know, support missionaries. You know, I'm with the Concordia Mission Society and we just, uh, we raise money for overseas missions and we send over $200,000 overseas uh, to help a, a mission. And so therefore it's very important that we send money, bring money in, in order uh, to continue with that mission work. And of course, money is necessary to uh, continue on the radio, etc. So it, it's not wrong to mention it occasionally to remind people but it is wrong to make that the focus where I, I've heard people say that if you really take care of your money, you're going to have a more blessed life. Right. Well, I, I was just going to, yeah, I was really going to talk about that too. I've seen televangelists talk about, uh, give you a thousand dollars seed of, of miracles that you return to their ministry, a thousand dollars and God will, will somehow provide with you double, triple, quadruple for, for giving. Yeah, I remember one, if you would send him a pillow or something, he would bless it and send it back to you. And <laughs> you would be getting a lot more blessings. Now, there's no doubt that people who don't have enough money to buy food, etc., do need to go through the government and, and get help there. But by and large, that's not the purpose really uh, of the church to collect money. It is to have money on hand to keep the church going. But that's about it. The, the, the second problem he mentions is close uh, to the first one. What was that? Well, that's the opulent lifestyle of the leadership. The lavish lifestyle of a pastor and top leaders is a huge stumbling block to the gospel. The one that I remember, there was one out there that had a jet airplane that was about two and a half million dollars. And he told his followers that God was telling him that he needed a second jet. Yes. And how about uh, the one who was collecting money for an orphanage overseas, but he and his wife used it to get gold elements in their bathroom? faucets and oh my things goodness. like that yes yeah but he went to jail for that so that really would turn people off um now for years i would go to congregations and the car i owned because it got good mileage and i liked it was a corvette and people were always surprised when i drove in with a corvette <laughs> but it was an older one. And and so I was making the point and the kids would love sitting in it and this sort of thing. But I hope I didn't give the impression that I was therefore leaving an opulent lifestyle because I got the thing used for about $11,000. But no, 
Uh, and, and I remember you did allow one kid to drive it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was your child who drove it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was so scared he wouldn't drive it over 45 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it could go up to 145 miles an hour. Of course, I, I don't know that. But uh, that's what they say they do. They can really go. But uh, I would always drive. It was really something 50 miles an hour on the expressway. People would be honking at me and passing me because that was my best mileage. It wasn't unusual to get 33 miles to the gallon with that. So, but, you know, you got to be careful that uh, you don't show an opulent lifestyle for sure, which leads us to the third item, which are scandals. Uh. Now, What'll be a good example of a scandal in the church? Well, probably the pastor having a of the Roman Catholic Church with with the priests and the homosexual uh, problem that they they've been trying to solve, where uh, they were having illicit affairs with with the altar boys. And how about? pastors who have relationships with members of their congregation, etc., uh, even if they're married, that would be a real scandal. Right. Yeah. They, I think that's what they're talking about. Uh, and of course they, he, he says you have to be careful with what's put on the internet. Sometimes they're not always true. Yes. Uh, how many times have I written to you uh, my feelings, et cetera, uh, through an email? <laughs> I don't remember a single one. Exactly. I don't put anything down in emails or these other items there because they're open to the public. They can be misunderstood. And I don't mind even phoning people. They'll have questions on the radio, and I always ask, please give me your phone number, because first of all, I want to make sure I'm answering uh, their right questions, and second of all, it takes time to answer questions properly, which an email just doesn't afford. Right. I would agree. So, uh, so. I've... I've tried holding meetings on the internet through emails and we finally had to say we got to meet in person because it seemed always seemed like we were talking past each other. Yes. Yeah. I I don't, um, during the pandemic when the church wasn't even meeting, I did do sermons and Bible studies over the internet and people would connect. In fact, I had a Wednesday night Bible study that you could uh, phone. Uh, There was no cost to you. I I paid for it. But you could even ask questions during the Bible study. And and that was okay because I was talking uh, the gospel according to St. Mark and has fascinating insights in there. But uh, I don't see a problem there. Okay. Next is... 
Well, let's go down to religious titles. Now, here's where I had a little question. He says, in some religious settings, everyone has a title like bishop, apostle, doctor, reverend, archbishop, and more. And he felt that that turned off people for this kind of identification for self-validation. Now, we refer to ourselves as a pastor or a reverend. Now, I also have a doctorate, but I don't like being referred to as Dr. Baker because I'm not a professor. I'm uh, an evangelist, so pastor is fine with me. But every now and then when we're fooling around, I think sometimes when I call you, I say, is the most righteous reverend uh, Dr. Uh, Wes Reimnitz in. <laughs> and so. And I do the same to you. Well, but you, but you got to catch what he says the excessive use of elaborate religious hierarchical titles. So, you know, it's, it's an assistance that you'd be called it and, and you're back and forth talking most reverend and things like that, I think. Yes. Yeah, in fact, I had an email from uh, somebody who really questioned. Um, I was at a congregation, and you know how they refer to me all the time? Hey, you? Yes. <laughs> no. What? Tom. Uh. And they were upset. They said, no, you should be Pastor Baker. And I said, no, in this congregation, I like having a very close relationship, and I don't mind being called Tom. Like if the president of the congregation is making a point, well, Tom indicated to us that it would be better if we would do this during the worship service or something like that. Well, yeah, and, you're, you're filling in on, on a vacancy, and right? it's hard to say what the previous pastor did if he developed that kind of relationship where they call him by first name. Yes. Yeah. In fact, they still do by referring back to him because we've had a number of funerals at one church and the people wanted him to do the funeral because I didn't even know the people. They had been sick when I got there and uh, therefore they really had an opportunity to hear from me. And so they asked if, their former pastor could do the funeral, and I had no problem with that. Now, the next right. one is really a good one. And he says, we're not as religious in this generation and feel disconnected when a believer constantly uses religious vocabulary instead of everyday communication. Now, I think that's really a possibility. Remember when we first came on the air, uh, we had a really good leader and we would talk about circuits uh, or we would talk about districts. And of course, the people listening to us had no idea what we were talking about. So we always had to explain, well, a circuit is a group of pastors who meet occasionally each month, you know, for comfort and for teaching of the word of God. And so we tried to explain that. And that's the thing I really taught myself, to put things down and say things 
at a level that everyday people understand them. Yeah. Would that include phrases like poor righteousness and righteousness of faith? Absolutely. Uh, justification, sanctification. Every time I mention those, I explain that justification is that moment when God delivered you faith to believe the words of the Bible and the promises of the gospel. Sanctification mm -hmm. is therefore the result of that faith where you begin to do good works for Jesus because of your love for him. And so you make that distinction because a lot of people think they need to be sanctified first before they're justified. And that's reversing God's order. It's what a lot of other religions think. But you need to really explain uh, religious words. And sometimes we like using the Latin, you know, but then we need to explain what that means. Right. No, I, I would agree with that. You know, the next one they talked about was religious images of power. What do they mean by that? Well, I've seen a congregation where they're on a stage and the pastor is sitting on a throne on the stage in which he's elevated above the congregation. And the throne is opulent. He has uh, a lot of robes on, different robes, etc. And the, the one that really bothers me is when the pastor is preaching in the pulpit and he leaves the pulpit and walks down into the congregation. Uh, a lot of people or a lot of pastors think that that's kind of meeting people where they're at. No, you need to be obscured so that when people are hearing or seeing you in the pulpit, they're really thinking that you're explaining the word of God and you're God's voice. But you get out of the pulpit, start walking among the people, you become more important than the message. Well, I tend to disagree with you on that. I mean, I, I've done it once or twice in my ministry, uh, go down from the pulpit to the people. And uh, as they explained to me in Bible class, you want to talk about direct eye contact and wanting to listen to what's being said, you know, only only in terms of making a a point or or several that they, they get across very quickly. I would agree with you that if you do it on a regular basis, it loses its uh, focus. Well, it depends how many you have in the congregation. If you're talking right. about 20 people in the congregation, that's something. But I belong to a congregation where there's 2,000 members. And as soon oh, as no. he leaves the pulpit which is kind of up in the air so people can see him. You have all kinds of people who can't see him anymore, especially women holding babies and things like that. And the people in front of them block their view. So there's no eye contact at all for many people. Yeah. And that was the argument that I heard at a congregation when they left the pulpit is where did he go? 
No, that makes sense when when you got a larger crowd. I was talking about smaller crowds. Yes. And... Yeah, I mean, when you're talking to your wife, you better come down from your pulpit <laughs> and have eye contact with her. All right. Oh, yes. The next one, religious behavior. Um, there I, I question him also where he says that people come to church and there's a lot of protocols, traditions, and rituals, and it scares new people into thinking they have to become religious robots to believe. And I think that that can happen, but I think if it's explained, for instance, we have religious protocols when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Yeah, people right. have to line up, you have to confess their sins, this sort of thing, uh, before receiving the Lord's Supper. Or if there's a baptism, I, I don't know how many times you had this where they have a child and you phone them and say, well, we need to baptize the child and they want to do it outside of the church at home. And I say, no, this is a, a confession. And if at all possible, uh, can we do it in church? Now, on those occasions when the child is ill or something, then you may go to their home. But 90% of the baptisms I've done are always in the church because it's a celebration for the whole congregation. Right, I would agree. About 90% of my baptisms were done in the church. You get that occasional one where they wanted a private baptism. But, uh, you know... You got to do what you got to do to bring the child in. Yeah, number nine was a tough one where he talks about many are turned off uh, to the message when they see leadership focusing just on their religious agenda while neglecting the good of their community. Um, I'm not so sure about that one. Well, I tell you uh, a good example of 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 the community, and that was on KFU yesterday. Uh, the coffee hour, uh, they had the pastor from St. Paul, Paducah, uh, Pastor Apple on, and he talked about how he's kind of what with the tornadoes, with the tornado. How, how his congregation reached out down into Mayfield and they used their church as a place for rescuers to to uh, sleep at night and eat and how they would uh, send them down to, to help out. So I can see that as a real sense. If you're a church in the community, right. what do you do? But you don't want to make your church into just that. In, in the sense that maybe all you do is work in the community and try and stop things that are happening in the community that are bad and such, and not really focusing on the message of law and gospel. Oh, they're very focused on, on law and gospel. And yes, that, they that were church. Yeah, so that was yeah. one I questioned also, that sometimes you have to, help out your community. In fact, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is well known for its work when catastrophes occur 
uh, due to weather phenomena or tidal waves or this sort of thing. And uh, people really give towards that to help out. And it's resulted, uh, for example, in some cases in new churches uh, coming about. Right. So, and there can be an overemphasis on, on sending funds for mission and neglecting the mission work that we have in our community of reaching out with the gospel. Exactly. Uh, the last one, no community and authenticity. What people crave the most is community. And everyone needs to feel loved and belong to an entity greater than themselves. And he's right. The church is to call to assimilate new believers into the visible body of Christ through relationships and discipleship. But when people come to church and only experience program-based Christianity, they will eventually leave and look for a real community. Now, I'm not well, really you know what I... quite sure what was meant by that. Yeah, I you know to wrap it up, I came up with Romans chapter nine. You know, behold, I'm laying to Zion a st stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, they talk about the twelfth stumbling blocks, and really, it's stumbling over over faith in Christ and the necessity to preach the good news of Jesus to the world. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you very much, Wes, for helping me. This is a great article to keep in mind other reasons why people are leaving the church. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel, normally referred to as Open Mic Friday. Uh, if you would like to email me either on this subject or any other subject, it's lawandgospel at lawandgospel101. Dot com, and we'll reply to your questions, God willing. Thank you very much for listening to Law and Gospel, and God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.